0: everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd and I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor David Hildig-Smith. David is a structural and interventional cardiologist and along with several co-authors he's recently written an education in heart article all about balloon aortic valvuloplasty. We have an interesting discussion comparing that to other techniques for intervention on the aortic valve and we also highlight the place of BAV in 2020. I hope you enjoy the show. And um, so maybe we can start off, David, by you introducing yourself and telling people who you are and, and where you work and what you do.
1: Okay, I'm Dave Hildick smith I'm a cardiologist in Brighton um, at the Sussex Cardiac Centre. I deal mostly with patients who have valvular or structural heart conditions, but I also, like most interventional cardiologists, do coronary intervention. And I would say the structural side of things has been increasing over the last five or so years, so occupies more and more of my
0: time. And you're uh, an expert on the percutaneous management of aortic stenosis and have recently written a very comprehensive review of balloon aortic valvuloplasty. Maybe we can start by you setting the scene on aortic stenosis and just tell everybody why it's an important condition.
1: Yes, so aortic stenosis is a sort of wear and tear condition, uh, a bit like hip osteoarthritis, that it will tend to increase gradually its prevalence with age. It's a Prevalence of about 10% in those aged 80 or over. Um, Since we've been able to do things other than just surgery, it's become apparent quite how many people in their 80s and beyond, who previously wouldn't really have been considered for aortic valve replacement, um, do in fact have aortic stenosis, many of whom. Warrant treatment with particularly transcatheter aortic valve implantation, but also sometimes may present for balloon aortic valvuloplasty. And
0: and what are the different treatment options for patients uh, who need it in broad terms? I think you've mentioned them all there, but perhaps a little bit more detail.
1: Generally speaking, people who have aortic stenosis have four options. Uh, Medical therapy is really ineffective. Um, it's just frusemide or some other diuretic that may be useful to a limited extent, but because this is an actual mechanical obstruction, it really makes only limited uh, effect and limited benefit for a short period of time. Um, after that, there's balloon valvuloplasty, and that's a bit of a halfway house. It's not really correcting the aortic stenosis but it is improving the situation over a discrete period of time so that fits in a rather specific niche then in terms of definitive treatments there's transcatheter aortic valve implantation which is actually of course putting in a new valve via an arterial access route of choice usually the femoral artery and then lastly There is surgical aortic valve replacement, which has always been the mainstay of treatment for aortic stenosis until really the last 10 years or so, when there's been an explosive growth in transcatheter modalities, partly through patient interest, partly through uh, cardiology interest, partly through the less invasive nature of the technology and therefore its acceptability to patients.
0: And can we discuss the American and European guidelines and where balloon aortic valvularoplasty, or BAV, let's call it from now on, where does that fit into a treatment hierarchy in, in 2020?
1: Yeah, so the guidelines are, um, you know, often guidelines, despite their best intentions, lag slightly out of date. Um, mm. The guidelines say that balloon valvularoplasty can be considered as a bridge which certainly that would be what most people would agree. Uh, so a bridge to, for example, surgical valve replacement or transcatheter valve implantation. Okay. Um, so that may be a particular niche. The guidelines also suggest uh, its place in temporizing patients who may need non-cardiac surgery, and I think there's significantly less agreement around that and also the guidelines would suggest that balloon valvuloplasty can be used as a if you like a diagnostic palpation of the aortic valve in people who have other conditions which might make them symptomatic so for example if someone has quite bad lung disease uh, but also quite bad aortic stenosis you could theoretically do a balloon valvuloplasty to see whether they get any better and therefore to see whether you can justify doing something more invasive.
0: Yeah that's fascinating and it's an area I hadn't ever considered Uh, and I'd like to come back and chat a bit more about that later on if we can but maybe we can also discuss how long BAV has been around. It seems to have been around since I was a,
1: a medical student in some form or another, is that correct? Yes, since you were very young indeed, Jane. <laughs> Um So, it, yes, it's been around a long time. And in fact, when you trace the origins of Tavi as well, it's amazing how far back it actually goes when you track it to yeah. the first incredible pioneers. But um, it, Alan Cribier was probably the most famous um, exponent of balloon valvroplasty and published uh, on it, I think, 1986, a significant series of patients, and there was a lot of enthusiasm, the concept that you could put a balloon into the aortic valve, inflate the balloon, widen the valve, and patients would feel significantly better. And in fact, one of the interesting things about balloon valvuloplasty is that if you get the right patient, and they're very, very symptomatic, and they don't really have any other options, then the balloon valvuloplasty can be extremely effective in relieving their symptoms, But unfortunately, it turns out that that improvement lasts usually only about six months. It it depends a bit on the anatomy. But what you've actually achieved with the valvuloplasty is you stretch the leaflets. So some of the calcific uh, nodules and lines of fusion get cracked a little bit. And you slightly increase the flexibility of the valve. So it may increase in area by, let's say, 0.1 cm squared. And that, in fact, is enough to give patients a significant benefit in their symptoms. But unfortunately, it uh, re-accrues over the next six to nine months or so. And hence, I'm
0: assuming the logic of using it as a bridge to something else rather than as a one yes,
1: exactly. Thing. So, 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 as a bridge to something definitive, it makes good sense. If it's really not possible to do the actual definitive thing, and and in fact, in real terms, as Tavi's got better and better, it's often not really needed in that context, except in extreme circumstances. Um, but it also does mean generally that balloon valvuloplasty is used rather less now than probably it was five or 10 years ago.
0: And I'm assuming that's the reason it fell out of favor initially. Is it back in the in the late 80s and 90s that people saw absolutely. that the problem came back quite quickly? Yes, uh, yeah.
1: absolutely. So there was an initial enthusiasm and then everyone sort of began to realize, oh, it doesn't really work for more than a few months. And then what do you do? Yeah. Um, so, of course, the enthusiasm for it without a, without a definitive treatment available at the end of it um, it became much less attractive.
0: And uh, how does one perform a balloon valvuloplasty? What's the traditional, typical way of doing it? I imagine it's changed slightly. The access route, maybe, and yes. the kit uh, over yes, the last probably, twenty years. Yes,
1: it has changed. And I mean, th- what what we do now is is quite different to what was done in the early days. And in fact, we we I remember actually getting Alan Cribier to come to Brighton to do. Um, A valvuloplasty case where we did it transeptal, and in fact, the same way as he did the initial TAVI procedures. And it's incredible to think that such a difficult procedure was done with so little availability of backup in a way um, and done successfully.
0: So, by transept, for just for those who aren't interventionists, so you mean accessing through the venous circulation, yes, going through the
1: the access through the venous circulation through the interatrial septum into left ventricle out through the aortic valve and round down to the descending aorta and then track a balloon all the way around that. Wow. Um, okay. So quite a, quite a complex way to do it. And, of course, at the time it was done like that because we didn't really have good systems for closing the arterial circulation. And, right. indeed, of course, TAVI was done like that as well. Uh, and the balloons themselves might be 16 French or something like that. So we're talking... You know, big holes in the arteries without very good ways of dealing with the the defect. Uh, right. and, and when, in fact, we first did balloon valve plasty, I remember you know we would be sometimes making a fourteen French hole in the artery and then pressing on it.
0: Yeah, yeah for um, a long time.
1: <laughs> not, not a, not, not a, a prospect that would fill anybody with glee these days. So these days we can do it with maybe. 10 French access in the arterial system with good closure systems to make sure that the arteriotomy is closed nicely. Uh, The valve is crossed and this would usually be done under local anesthetic with or without sedation. Okay. Um, Once the valve is crossed, then a stiff and curly wire can be placed in the left ventricle for safety and as another streamlining of the procedure, the the rapid pacing that you need to do to, to drop the blood pressure can be done using that left ventricular wire. So there isn't actually need for a, a venous pacemaker temporarily. So okay. you just use the wire in the left ventricle and pace at a high voltage, say 15 volts, through that wire. Uh, and that, of course, drops the blood pressure transiently to maybe... 50 or 60 millimeters of mercury. And that means that when you inflate the balloon, the balloon stays still. Yeah. So you can choose a balloon based. If you're if you if you have a CT scan, that's great. You can base it on that. Otherwise, you have to base it on echo parameters. And as a very rough guide, it might be an average 20 for a female, 22, 23 for a male. And you simply inflate the balloon two or three times during rapid pacing deflate the balloon, take everything out, measure the pressures in the ventricle and in the aorta and check that you've achieved at least a 50% reduction in the hemodynamic gradient. And if you've done that, then very likely the patient will be very much better. And
0: in terms of cerebral protection devices or anything like that, are they routinely used or not?
1: The kind of patient in whom you might be doing a balloon valvroplasty is probably somebody in whom you would be looking either to bridge to something else or possibly palliative on its own. So I think very few people would use cerebral protection um, in that setting, although increasingly people will use it and it will become absolutely the default in TAVI. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And
0: can we talk a little bit about some very specific areas where you may use... Uh, valvuloplasty uh, in 2020 some of them you mentioned in your article things like uh, patients presenting with cardiogenic shock with tight aortic stenosis yes and pregnancy is another one
1: yes yeah, so pregnancy of course is very rare and that would be bicuspid aortic valves so you know whether or not it's really sensible i think is questionable and probably right. everybody only sees one case every five years but um cardiogenic shock it's tricky you know i think i mean if it if the cardiogenic shock or, or extreme poor condition of patient is unquestionably down to aortic stenosis then you you you've really taken at least half the risk mm. um of a tavi by doing the balloon valvuloplasty so as tavi gets better and better so more and more people would say well you know if it's clearly the the valve that's the problem do a tavi mm. don't just do half a job um but i think there are still issues around the size of the the vascular access and therefore the complications there um there are some economic arguments unfortunately of course as well with regard to um spending money wisely you don't want to do a tavi and, and somebody uh, does not survive more than a few days uh, right. so so balloon valvuloplasty in that setting is is a good option but it it's also worth saying that um it is nice to have the capacity to convert to a TAVI if necessary. Certainly, we've had, I would say, only three cases, but three cases in the last uh, 10 years out of 500 valvoplasties where we've immediately converted to TAVI because there's been a complication in terms of aortic regurgitation, which is thankfully very rare, but um, but it does happen. And then if if you have no option... That would be really unfortunate. Can we talk a little bit about the uh,
0: both the outcome data from BAB we've mentioned slightly earlier on but also the the complications uh, that people can expect?
1: Yes the outcome data show that the technique is is reasonably safe um, in the context of the patient group that are having it so the mortality might be I mean it's difficult to pin this down because if it's elective the mortality is far lower than if it's emergency but as a as a gross generalization there might be say a 2% mortality and a similar kind of stroke risk and about a 1% or slightly lower risk of severe aortic regurgitation okay so when you add it up it's you know in that patient group it's not an insignificant risk and that's one of the reasons of course why uh, recommending it in patients as a prelude to non-cardiac surgery, doesn't necessarily add up.
0: Yes, you talk about that and you say that um, uh, frequently patients are discovered to have aortic stenosis uh, during workup for non-cardiac surgery and intervention may be requested. Uh, yes. But you you should strongly I mean, resist this. Uh, yes, this I mean, it happens
1: all the time. You know, in the NDT, yeah. and everybody will be familiar with this. Oh, patient's going to have a hip replacement. Uh, they've been found to have aortic stenosis with a gradient of 75 and good left ventricular function. Please, can you do the needful? Um, and then we'll be very happy to get on with the hip. Um, and, you know, asking for a balloon valvoplasty in that setting doesn't really add up because you're making a very small difference to the valve, you know, usually only 0.1 centimeters squared, at a risk of maybe 3% of a major complication. Mm. Um, and when you compare that then with the potential benefits you may have offered that patient in terms of reduction of risk around their hip replacement, you probably you probably haven't done them a favor because the the risk is that everyone treats them as, oh, they've had their aortic valve problem fixed with the balloon. So we don't have to be quite so cautious or careful with all the fluid management and anesthetic management. But in fact, we've made a very limited difference to their physiology. And actually, in our MDT, and I'm sure in lots of people's MDTs, what we do is we, we push back really and we say, please do take advice from our cardiac anesthetists who'll be happy to um, help. Mm. In this setting where really the better option is that you go ahead with the operation, knowing that they have aortic stenosis and therefore the hemodynamics and the fluid balance are going to be very important. And
0: what would you say just in in the last few minutes, uh, David, about the future of BAV uh, and maybe other percutaneous techniques that you mentioned towards the end of your article? Uh, You're you're now using it more um, after a TAVI, aren't you, as well?
1: I, th- I suppose what I'd say is that blowing up a balloon in an aortic valve is a is a relatively uncontrolled and slightly dangerous thing to do um has <laughs> a very gross generalization <laughs> and therefore uh to 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 do it without um the protection of some other modality is uh r- diminishing in frequency so tavi's getting slicker the the size of the catheters is getting smaller, the risks to the patient are getting lower. Um, So in many cases, the the niche into which balloon valvroplasty alone fits is getting smaller. Um, But it's probably worth adding at this point that that only is true for places where the extreme cost of the TAVI procedure can be accommodated. So in in many countries and cultures, that won't be the case. Mm. So there is is room for an improved balloon technology, um, which I think many companies are interested in developing. So slightly more durable results, returning the flexibility of the valve, by perhaps setting the clock back five years or so, being able to give people a five-year result with a, as it were, inverted commas, balloon only, inverted commas, technology. Um, And I think there will be a lot of interest and there are some uh, technologies looking at doing a non-implant based aortic valvotomy with more durable results.
0: Interesting. And you mentioned things like lithotripsy as well for the aortic valve, which again, is fascinating to to read about.
1: Yes. And I mean, of course, if something like that uh, turned out to be successful, that you could kind of mosaicize this paving slab of a leaflet and recreate some flexibility within it and get a five-year result out of that. Then that would, of course, apply to a lot of the patients who are currently getting TAVI.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just just for reference, I know it's it's 2020 in the UK, but what is the rough differential in cost between, should we say, a standard TAVI in the UK and a and a BAV procedure? Have you got any ideas? Oh what right, yes. Had?
1: I mean, one costs twenty thousand pounds, and the other one costs about twelve pounds fifty.
0: <laughs> okay, so it's much much cheaper.
1: Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean the te- the, I mean I'm I'm being slightly facetious, but the equipment you use in a BAV is all. Relatively inexpensive. Uh, the, the valve itself is, uh, you know, somewhere between twelve and eighteen thousand pounds, depending on the on the uh, maker. Currently, okay.
0: for the uh, for Tavi. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, David, for your time. It's been fascinating to talk to you, and the article will be free as well for a few weeks, so people can uh, can go ahead and read it.